This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. John's Gospel, chapter 19. John 19, and just reading three verses. 25, 26, and 27. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clophas, or some other gospels, Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, Behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. And that, of course, was the apostle John. So tonight we want to uh, look again at the Christ of Calvary. Now the many notable scenes and events that surround the cross... I think that none are more striking than these seven sayings that Jesus spoke from the cross. And during those six hours of agony of body and anguish of soul that he went through on that cross, he uttered some of the most sublime, most sacred, the most significant sayings that mortal ear has ever heard. Uh, I hesitate because of the grandeur of these statements, to try even to expound upon it. As the Apostle Paul said, who is sufficient for these things? In his first word from the cross, he makes a prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In his second word from the cross, he makes a promise to the thief, today you shall be with me in paradise. And in this third word from the cross, He makes provision, provision for his mother. Woman, behold your son, behold your mother. These simple words from the parched lips of the master gives us great insight, both of his humanity and his deity. And in the midst of that most awful, horrible moment, there's this tender, touching scene in which he reminds them and us of his rightful place as Lord of all. So I want you to imagine the scene at Golgotha that day. It was the Passover. The place would be absolutely crowded with people from all over coming to have the most solemn feast of all of the Jewish feasts of the seven that's held throughout that whole year. And over in the temple, the paschal lamb was being slain. But on the cross, the true paschal lamb was also being slain. The lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. The one whom John says, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And then, of course, there was the two thieves that we spoke about this morning who were hanging on the right hand, the left hand of Christ. And then those callous, brutal soldiers, the execution squad. 
which would be a quartarian, which would be four soldiers plus a centurion. And these would be men who would be well used to this. They would be hardened to it. They had done hundreds in their time. And then, of course, there was the, the jeering mob and the sneering uh, priests that were shouting at him, if you are the king of Israel, come down from that cross. Then there was the morbid onlookers. There was people, I'm sure, that had never actually seen a live crucifixion. Probably had heard about it, but never actually seen it. And so there would be a morbid fascination because this would be done just outside Jerusalem, beside the highway where there'd be lots of people moving, lots of people coming back and forth. And so you can imagine people would be standing just watching uh, because in those days, executions were public. In fact, up to the 1800s, uh, even in Britain, there was executions that were public. It's only in recent times that they've become private affairs, uh, except in some countries, they're still public if you go to the Middle East. But in America, for instance, there's just a few that are chosen, maybe some family members and some others that can see a, an execution, but the public generally cannot see that. But in those days, it was open for everybody to see. And of course, they would be looking. And then in the midst of all of that, there would be this small band of sympathetic, loyal, loving, sorrowful, bewildered friends. Four ladies and one man. John was the only disciple out of all of them to actually to come to the cross. And so they watched as Jesus prayed for his enemies. They listened as he won the heart of that dying thief. And now he looks down from the cross and he looks at that little band that's watching and looking at him. And he looks right into the eyes of his dear mother. I wonder how long he held his gaze. I wonder how long he looked before he said anything. It must have been quite a moment for his mother and him just to look into each other's eyes. And then he spoke. So let's, for a few moments tonight, let's just in her mind's eye let's stand alongside Mary at the foot of the cross I wonder what her thoughts were there must have been a million thoughts go through her mind at that time I wonder did she, did she look back to his miraculous conception to whenever the angel came and delivered that traumatic news that she was going to be with child and that that which would be born of her would be the Son of God, would be the Son of the Highest, and he would be called Jesus. That must have been a moment that she thought about. And then, of course, did she think about his birth? Did she think about that time in that lowly stable and how just her and Joseph, a little baby was born, the Son of God, tiny little thing nestled in her arms and how that the angels spoke to the shepherds out in the fields said glory to God in the highest peace on earth, goodwill to men for unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord 
And this is where you'll find him, and this is how you'll find him, and how they rushed there to see the Christ child. What a moment that must have been. I wonder, did she think about that time she hurried to her cousin Elizabeth, who was already six months pregnant with what would be John the Baptist? And how when she got there and she brought greetings, how did little John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb jumped and she was filled with the Holy Ghost and she began to prophesy and say, you're blessed among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. What a moment that must have been. And then she may have remembered the time whenever she went to the temple and the aged Simeon who was filled with the Holy Spirit and who was led by the Holy Spirit, it says, was waiting right at the temple and saying, this is the consolation of Israel. This is what I prayed for. This is what God has promised me I would see before I die. Now, Lord, let me depart in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. This is the one. And how Anna the prophetess prophesied, we'll come to that later. That must have been a moment, perhaps, that went through her mind. But I like what it says in Luke 2.19, that Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. <laughs> a lot to ponder about. And so Mary stands looking up at her son dying a horrible and cruel death. Those hands that healed the sick, those feet that a woman's tears washed and she dried them with the hairs of her head, there they are, nailed and pinned to that cross. And all her hopes and all her dreams and all her longings and all her yearnings are being crushed. And sometime, a long time before this, it would seem that she probably had mourned the death of her husband, Joseph. But nothing was like the pain of grief and hurt that she's feeling right now as she looks at her son. And those words of the old Simeon came true. A sword shall pierce your heart also. I'm sure she always wondered what that would mean. But now she knows. Now she fully knows. And so as her eyes meet, Jesus begins to speak. Woman, behold your son. Not referring to himself. Referring to John. Because he immediately turns around and says, behold your mother. Woman, behold your son. Wasn't being disrespectful here. In fact, he was being respectful. This was a formal way he spoke to his mother. But notice here, he calls her woman, not mother. And that was a term he used at the marriage feast of Cana of Galilee. And he says, woman, what's that got to do with me? My time's not yet come. <coughs> Jesus had come to a point in his life and it's coming to a head here where he was putting separation between him and his mother as far as the spiritual and the natural plane was concerned. And so when he calls her woman, he's letting her know that things are going to be different from now on. 
things are going to be different. Jesus knew that from that hour forward, throughout the rest of history, that she would be known, she would no longer really, truly be known as Jesus' mother, but really he would be her saviour. Not so much that he was her son, but that he was her saviour. In the natural, of course, he was her son, but in the spiritual, he's going to be her saviour. And he wanted to make that difference because he knew that down the future that others wouldn't make that difference. But the spiritual relationship was going to be different. And Mary had been given a a foretaste of this at the temple in Luke chapter 2, if we may turn to that just for a moment. We mentioned it just a moment ago briefly, but let's just read it. Because we want to go a little bit further. Now, when the day, verse 22, now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and others waiting for the Messiah to come. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, Lord now, let your, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. And she was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So at that moment, as if she didn't know already, but she's being reminded that this is different. This is special. This boy is like no other. This is the Son of God. This is the Messiah of Israel. This will be the Savior of the world. And so from early on, she at least understood that. 
not fully, of course, for who could, but she had a grip of this, that this boy will be the Messiah, will be the Savior of the world. Then, between verse 40 and the next verse, 41, it skips over 12 years. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And, they had, and when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. His mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Hmm. But we understand it, don't we? We know now exactly who he's speaking about and exactly who his father is. And so Jesus on the cross is bringing Mary to that place and point again where the spiritual relationship would take precedence over the natural relationship. And that's the way that it ought to be when it comes to Mary. That's the way that Jesus wanted it to be. Mary would never, ever be the queen of heaven. She's not entitled the mother of God. She was not a perpetual virgin because she had children after Jesus. Jesus was the firstborn, but there was others. There was four other brothers. There was at least two sisters. There's scriptures for that. They were not as cousins as some propose. She did not experience bodily assumption. She was not taken bodily into heaven when she died. She had no immaculate conception. In other words, she wasn't born without original sin. She was blessed among women but not above woman. Do you remember during those 10 days in the upper room when Jesus told them to go there and wait until they're endued with power from on high and the 120 went and Mary was there among them and they were praying, seeking the Lord, but nobody was praying to Mary. Nobody was praying through Mary. Everybody was praying along with Mary. And so there's a difference. And by the way, after that scene in Acts 1, she is never, ever mentioned again in Scripture. She was never given any prominent position in any church of the early churches. No question about it, she was a wonderful, precious woman. God chose her so she must have had wonderful qualities for God to entrust his only son into her care. She was special. No question about that. Among women she was special, but not above women. Never to be worshipped. When the wise men came from the east, 
they worshipped the infant Jesus, they didn't worship her. And so we need to be careful that we don't elevate her to a position that God never intended. But equally, as the Protestant side of the church is concerned, we have not really honored her and maybe given her the honor that she would be due in the fear that it would look like we're elevating her above what she should be. But she is blessed among women. Looking down through the corridors of time, God knew that Mary would be in this position. Pope John Paul II, arguably the most loved and the most popular of all popes, I think that is beyond doubt, he dedicated his whole pontificate not to Jesus, but to Mary. So Jesus here was taking his rightful place even on the cross he was making it known and he was giving Mary her rightful place and we should give her her rightful place because she has a rightful place and her very name should be honored as a righteous woman as a blessed woman but not any of the other that's the traditions of man so Mary's standing there, and Jesus, knowing what was ahead, addresses her very, very respectfully, but very carefully. Yes, he uses the word mother. Yes, all of his life he called her mother. All of his life he called her mother, because she was his mother. But when it came to the spiritual difference now, when it came to what was going to happen from then on, that the spiritual relationship would take precedence over the natural relationship and that was the way it was meant to be and so Mary is standing there and Jesus said behold your son and he looks at John so let's think a little bit about John for a moment in Matthew 26, 56, do you remember in Gethsemane, whenever they came to arrest Jesus, it says, then all the disciples forsook him and fled, John included. But remember whenever we talked about the lives of the 12 apostles just a few weeks ago, we said that it seemed to be that John's father knew Caiaphas, the high priest, and that John came back and watched the trial, the trial before Caiaphas. And John 18, 15 would seem to bear that out. We can't be 100% sure, but we're almost sure that's what it means. And so it would seem that John, having fled, then thought better of and returned and watched that trial. But then further than that, he's now standing at the foot of the cross, the only one the only one out of all those disciples to do that. Now you may wonder why <coughs> Jesus didn't give his mother into the care and keeping of his half-brothers and half-sisters. But the answer is easy and obvious. None of them were there because none of them believed that he was who he said he was. None of them. Not one of his siblings believed that he was the son of God, that he was the Messiah of Israel, that he was the savior of the world. Not 
one of them. And when he was down on that cross, none of them showed up. They're probably afraid for their own lives in case the authorities would arrest them and wipe them out. But those four women and John, at great risk to their own lives, they came and they stood there. And I don't think that Jesus wanted his mother to go back to those four half-brothers and half-sisters with all their unbelief. <coughs> he wanted them to go back with John, the beloved disciple, the one who truly believed in him, the one who was prepared to risk his life standing at the foot of the cross. And so he said to John, Behold your mother. And from that hour we read, John took her home and looked after her. What a tender moment that must have been. Imagine for 33 and a half years, not one brother or sister believed in him. Totally rejected everything he said about who he was. Even after all of the miracles, even after raising the dead, they still would not accept him. Only when he resurrected, only when he came back from the dead, only then did they believe in him. But Jesus looked at John, and he saw something in John that he knew would look after his mother <coughs> to the day she died. And he did. And we don't know when she died, and we don't know exactly where she died. But what we can be sure of, John took good care of her until that happened, until he was released from that. You know, the other disciples, they were out, the apostles, they were going all over the world, the then known world, and they're evangelizing and raising up churches and the whole thing. John is his mother to look after. Yes, John became the senior pastor of the church at Ephesus. We know that history tells us all that. But for a long, long time, I'm sure John wanted to go out and do things, but he had this lovely mother to look after. You know, if you start counting up the age of Jesus and the age that Mary was whenever she had Jesus, she must have been close to being 50 years old at this time with the cross. So she wasn't a young girl anymore. Joseph, her husband, was dead. Somebody was going to have to take care of her. And Jesus felt and knew that John would be the best candidate. John, out of all of the apostles, we said this in our studies, that he was the longest living of all of them. <laughs> he outlived all of them. But God kept him alive to make sure until the day that she died that she would be taken care of. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 57, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. It took a lot. It took the resurrection of Jesus before his family believed in him. But Mary believed in him. Mary trusted that it was he, and she came right to the cross to see her son die. There's something... Generally speaking, there are exceptions to this rule, but generally speaking, there's something about a mother's love. There's something about 
the depths of a mother's love, probably because it's the mother who bore us, who carried us, who suffered for us. And there's something about the love of a mother that's precious. Rudyard Kipling wrote this little poem. He says, if I were hanged on the highest hill, mother o' mine, mother o' mine, I know whose love would follow me still, mother o' mine, mother o' mine. If I were drowned in the deepest sea, mother o' mine, mother o' mine, I know whose tears would come down to me, mother o' mine, mother o' mine. If I were damned of body and soul, I know whose prayers would make me whole, mother o' mine, mother o' mine. So the Lord Jesus, in spite of the agony and pain he was going through, in spite of fulfilling the Father's will and the scriptures, the prophecies, all that had to be done, in spite of being forsaken by almost all who followed him, in spite of the torture he went through, in spite of all of that, here he is on the cross, and in spite of all of that, he's thinking about his dear mother. He's thinking about her. Family is very important, isn't it? It's really important. And it was really important to Jesus. And the only one left in his earthly family that believed in him was his mother. And the only one of his earthly family that was there at the cross to see him die was his mother. And he was determined, in spite of all that he was going through, that he would make sure that she was taken care of. He was going to be the savior of the whole world. He was going to go back to the Father's right hand. But he was going to make sure first that his mom was taken care of. And I think that should speak loud and clear to us about our family, shouldn't it? And so Jesus has more to say on the cross. He has more words to speak, more statements to make, seven and all. And I'm not sure which is the greatest. I think each of them in their own way is great. Even the simple one like, I thirst two words but it's such a depth of meaning and so journey with me over these next few services as we look at these and think what can I learn from this what can I take away what can I take away from tonight apart from Christ is so wonderful and so gracious and so loving and so caring and compassionate Am I like that? Do I care? Does it bother me? It should, shouldn't it? We're just in this hour of a very short time. Soon it'll be over as far as this world is concerned for us. Going into eternity. But while we're here, let's be Christ-like as much as we possibly can be. And let's have the heart of Christ and the compassion of Christ and the thoughtfulness of Christ.
in his pain and agony, he's thinking of others. He was thinking about those who committed the crime against him and asked for forgiveness. He's thinking of this poor thief on the cross who's just recognized who he was and wanted forgiveness. He's thinking about him. He's thinking about his mother. He's thinking about others and his agony. Do we think of others whenever we're going through what we go through? Maybe sometimes, but lots of times, no. <laughs> lots of times we're thinking about us, our pain, our agony, our trouble. But if we have the heart of Christ, beyond that we can think of others and we can pray for others. And we be considerate of others. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your heart is so full of mercy and love and compassion. Lord, even in your dying moments, you could not help but think of others. You came to die to save the whole world. But that one thief, that one woman at the cross, captivated your attention. And so help us, Lord, as followers of you, as disciples of Christ, to have hearts of compassion and consideration and love towards others, particularly towards our family. So thank you, Lord, for what you did on the cross, and thank you for what you said on the cross. And teach us what we need to know and instruct us on how we can learn from this. And we'll ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk